Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Holy mackerel, there's a ton to get to today, but we will. Hello, my friends. I am Mark Levin. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. By the way, the Dow Jones has rocketed back over 1,200 points. I think it's the biggest single-day gain ever. This is why you keep your cool. You don't let the press stampede you. You know, Rick Edelman's one of the best financial guys I, I've heard, certainly on radio. I like Ramsey, too. But Edelman says all the time, just sit still. Stop thinking about it. You're in this for the long run. Your dollar cost average. And that's exactly right. Don't think about it. Don't worry about it. They're going to try and push you on TV, particularly cable, but on radio and other places. My God, what shall we do? Why would you sell when the market's going down? You want to lose money? And why would you buy when the market's up? That's just what this dollar cost averaging is all about, which is you just buy a certain amount every couple of weeks or every month through your pension plan and leave it alone. And you're going to do very well. Lest the whole country collapses. And then there's really nothing you can do anyway. So don't sweat it. I'm telling you the truth. I don't sweat it. I don't sweat it. Just let it go. Wow, lots going on. The juggernauts of Buttigieg and Klobuchar are getting together with Biden to try and take out Sanders. Liz Warren, nobody's sure what she's up to. And of course, Bloomberg wants to buy the presidency, being the oligarch that he is. Here's the thing. It's not that Klobuchar and Buttigieg have this huge following. It's that they're now creating the narrative and positioning Biden as the centrist and the moderate to defeat the Marxist. And it is fascinating to watch some pundits, some are libertarians, some are conservatives, some are populists, some are nationalists, some are just ridiculous, who are very upset about this. Look how they're teaming up against poor Bernie Sanders. I'm thinking to myself, this is a primary. What do you mean poor Bernie Sanders? This is the way it works. That's number one. Number two, the guy hasn't been a Democrat ever. He rejected the Democrat Party, just was too right-wing for him. So he's used the Democrat Party for a while. He's used the Democrat Party as a fig leaf to advance, or try to advance, very poorly, his agenda. But Bernie Sanders is a Marxist. He's always been a Marxist. Back in January, I played a piece, beautiful piece put together by Reason, a libertarian site and group. 
And I'm going to do that later tonight, too. It's easy to forget these things. Who Bernie Sanders is. And if the Democrats want to take out Bernie Sanders, why shouldn't I be pleased by that? Well, because it'll be easier for Trump to take out Sanders. I don't know that. Look at Joe Biden. Joe Biden. I know he has the mental institution vote, but Joe Biden's truly an idiot. So Trump's either going to run against a Marxist or a moron, one or the other. But Bernie Sanders threatens our fundamental nature as a country and our institutions and our principles. And he makes no bones about it. And we have a moral imperative to take it on, to take it on openly, publicly, based on our principles and our viewpoints, and defeat it. Because if we don't, who will? So that's very important. Now the reason the media back Biden is because they want to take out Trump, and they think Biden's the the best one to take out Trump. They have it all figured out like they always do, you know. Biden will cut into his white vote. Biden will cut into his blue collar and union vote. That is Trump's. Plus he'll carry a significant percentage of the black vote. And there you have it. Biden will win. It, no, it's not there you have it. Biden will win. Not in the least. Biden's a poor candidate. The only thing he's ever won is a Senate in, in Delaware, which is really a one-party state. And he was on Obama's coattails, and he became vice president. He wouldn't have been anything other than because of that. So I just point this out to you. These are two relatively weak candidates, but I fear Sanders the most because of who he is and what he believes. And Charlie Kirk and I, Turning Point USA, had an outstanding discussion about this. I hope you saw us on Life, Liberty, and Levin from our new studio in uh, the Fox News Channel in Washington. And we'll play a little bit of that for you, too. That's not the only election that's taken place. It's not the only election that's taken place. They just had an election in Israel. Now, Israel's seven hours ahead. And you, if you're listeners to this show, you know we keep an eye on this. And I want to read you the headline. The Jerusalem Post. Benjamin Netanyahu defeats Benny Gantz with larger block. They had a turnout of 71% up from the last election. 71%. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu succeeded in winning 60 seats. He needs 61. And it's believed he will get that, that one from another place. For his block of right-wing and religious parties in Monday's election. One less than he needed for a majority in the Knesset according to exit polls on three TV networks. Now, again, they have to add up the votes. And so maybe he'll get the 61, or maybe it's 59. I don't know. And the last to vote are the uh, members of the military and the diplomats. But the members of the military far outnumber. The diplomats, of course, are much more liberal. The first polls indicated that Netanyahu won 36 to 37 seats. That's a big deal because they, they have a coalition of seats, you know. Its allies and Shas and these other groups had, had strong showings too. Blue and white party at 33 seats. It was allowed with the left-wing labor, merits party, 
the Arab joint list, that's what they call them, these Arab parties that don't even believe in the existence of the state of Israel. And yet you have a so-called moderate party, the Blue and Red Party, headed by this Lapid and Gantz, who are more than happy to get their support. You have the votes of soldiers, who tend to lean to the right, they write, have not yet been counted. And so the, the vote of the Arabs tends to go down by comparison with the number of Knesset seats when they bring in the votes of the military. <clears throat> but if they don't get the 61 seats, and they have 60 or such, they'll need to get it from somewhere else, and I think they will. And this is a big day in Israel for liberty, the rule of law, and the people there. Because remember, they're still trying to take him out. He still has a case in two weeks, Mr. Producer, where the Attorney General wants to put the Prime Minister in prison. Can you imagine? They want to put the Prime Minister in prison. I think they'll have a good fight on their hands. And they should. So there's a lot going on. You know, I went to Israel, what was it, two weeks ago now? And I interviewed Benjamin Netanyahu, and you can see part of that on Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. And I could tell that he was very positive about the election. He was very strong. You wouldn't know that he's under such brutal assault. It's like talking to Trump. You wouldn't know he's under such brutal assault. So the Israelis, looks like 99% certain. At least for a handful of years anyway, right? We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Let's begin. We have a really big shoe here with Bernie Sanders. We're going to get into the coronavirus. What the hell is it called? Coronavirus. I almost call it the coronavirus. It's a nice place, coronavirus. Coronavirus. We'll get into all this stuff. Let's begin the Bernie Sanders that we talked about on January 13th from Reason. Cut 16, go. You know, it's funny. Sometimes American journalists talk about how bad a country is because people are lining up for food. That's a good thing. 
In other countries, people don't line up for food. The rich get the food and the poor starve to death. The Idiot. distribution of wealth in this country is one of the most unfair and distorted in the entire world. I think you change it through tax, tax laws. I think you change it through public ownership of significant parts of the economy. Everybody was totally convinced that Castro was the worst guy in the world. They forgot that he educated their kids, gave them health care, totally transformed the society. Throughout his career, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders has explained away the inevitable downsides of massively increasing the power of the state over the individual. It's a dictatorship. It's a poor economy. We want changes. But have some good things been done in Cuba? Yes. Sanders once identified as a radical socialist who admired the achievements of Cuba under Fidel, of Nicaragua under the Sandinistas, and of the Soviet Union right up to the fall of the Berlin Wall. Their public transportation system was the cleanest, most effective mass transit system that I've ever seen in my life. The stations themselves were absolutely beautiful, including many works of art, chandeliers that were beautiful. Running for office in Vermont in the 70s, Sanders sought a top tax rate of 100%, saying nobody should earn more than a million dollars. Sanders wanted to stop businesses from moving out of their original communities, saying the ultimate solution to protect workers was national legislation that would bring about the public ownership of the major means of production. He favored the public ownership of utilities, banks, and major industries, without compensation to investors or stockholders. Face it, you don't find too many socialists in elective office in this country, and one is elected mayor of a sizable city, well, that's news. Shortly after he was elected mayor of Burlington, Vermont in 1981, Sanders told a room full of charity workers, I don't believe in charities, because only the government should provide social services to the needy. Do I believe that the profit motive is fundamental to human nature? The answer is no. I think the spirit of cooperation, that you and I can work together better rather than having to compete against each other and destroy each other. Healthcare is a right. Today, Sanders calls himself a democratic socialist and has himself become a millionaire. I wrote a best-selling book. If you write a best-selling book, you can be a millionaire too. He favors single-payer health care, free public college for all, and a $15 minimum wage. We're not talking about Venezuela. We're not talking about Cuba. So the next time that you hear me attacked as a socialist, remember this. I don't believe government should take over, you know, the grocery store down the street or own the means of production. But one thing has remained constant as Sanders has shifted his model for U.S. policy from Nicaragua, Cuba, and the USSR to Denmark, Finland, and Sweden. In all of these countries, he's misled his followers about what's really happening. As a socialist, the word socialism does not frighten me, and I think it's probably fair to say that the Nicaraguan government is primarily a socialist government. The government there has the strange and unusual idea that they should attempt to do something for the people of Nicaragua rather than for the United States corporations. They are now teaching poetry not only to peasants and to workers, but in the, in the military, in the police department. When Sanders was the mayor of Burlington, Vermont, he vowed that his city would defy the Reagan administration's embargo against Nicaragua and the Sandinistas, who had overthrown an American-backed dictator and instituted a revolutionary socialist government. In 1985, Sanders traveled to Nicaragua to attend a celebration in honor of the revolution's sixth anniversary. I mean, it's unbelievable to say that a mayor of a city of 38,000 is now the highest-ranking American to visit them during the celebration of their revolution. I was treated, you know, in, in a special way. Surrounded by reporters at the airport upon his return, Sanders was enthusiastic about what he had seen in Nicaragua. Many of the things that we saw were impressive. There's a tremendous sense of energy. Sanders praised the Sandinista leadership and President Daniel Ortega. Ortega is an impressive guy. Ernesto Cardinal is a, is a funny-looking guy. He's gray hair. And he really does remind you of a hippie. They are not 
to quote Ronald Reagan, Looney Tune characters. I just went all around to stop people and ask them, are you with the government or not? They kind of laugh. They don't quite understand what you're talking about. Of course they're with the government. Now, obviously, I will be attacked by every editorial writer in the free press for being a dumb dupe. Maybe I am. Uh, I was impressed by their intelligence and by their sincerity. These are not political hacks. He praised the seizure of private farms and businesses. In terms of land reform, giving for the first time in their lives real land to farmers. And people of Nicaragua, the poor people, respect that. Rich people, needless to say, who used to have a good life there, are not terribly happy. What Sanders didn't mention was that by 1985, international watchdog groups had exposed the Sandinistas' significant human rights violations. A 1981 report by the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights revealed mass executions and persecution of indigenous peoples. And just two years before Sanders made his trip, Time magazine reported that hundreds of citizens were disappearing every month at the hands of the Sandinistas. Many of us get depressed about what's going on in Nicaragua today and the absolute lies that are coming out of the White House. In fact, we have a right to be very exhilarated. Sanders accused the American government and media of conspiring to cover up a socialist success story. The important story is not Nicaragua. When you read the New York Times, the real truth is not being told and how that's obfuscated. Okay, that's what the interesting story. If you get on the air and you say, I'm sympathetic to the Sandinista government. I think it was right they made their revolution. They're trying to do the right thing. No good. My point to Ortega is they are not getting their message of what they are trying to do out to the American people. Is there anything at all that you would trade? That's enough for tonight. I, I, really, I, I just came back for a 14-hour trip, so I... The Sandinistas would remain in power for five more years after Sanders' visit, and the Nicaraguan Permanent Commission on Human Rights would go on to document over 14,000 instances of rape, torture, and murder during their reign. They really were talking about a transformation of society, giving power to the poor people, to the working people, and that has caused the conflict, uh, needless to say, in Nicaragua, which we're seeing today. Now, we're going to continue with this after the bottom of the hour because people don't listen to every show all the time, shockingly. And I want you to know who the real Bernie Sanders is because you're not going to get this from Chuck Todd and Jake Tapper and Wolf Blitzer and Donnie Lemon on the rest of the uh, list of horribles. But you will get it here. These are Bernie Sanders' comments in his own words. In his own words. You see, the left keeps saying, the Democrats and the media, all the same, that Donald Trump is destroying our Constitution, destroying our government. Can somebody please tell me how? A Donald Trump re-election does not endanger our system. It strengthens our system. A Bernie Sanders election is an election against our institutions and our principles and our founding. It is a direct threat to Americanism. I'll be right back. Well, then why is the music playing? All right, we'll be right back. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission Since 1844, I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. 
because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today. Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Blasting conservative fire. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811. Back to Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, the communist, the Marxist. Notice how he calls the Nicaraguan communists socialists. They're communists. Cut 17, go. Now, I remember, for some reason, I was being very excited when, when Fidel Castro made the revolution in Cuba. I was a kid, and I remember reading that. And it just seemed right and appropriate that poor people were rising up against rather ugly rich people. While Sanders was still mayor of Burlington, he traveled to Cuba in 1989 to seek a meeting with Fidel Castro. Stop. He... Cuba. Doesn't he call it Cuba? It's Cuba with an R. Go ahead. Mayor of Havana. By this time, Castro had seized private farms and businesses, imprisoned artists, created informant squads to monitor and arrest dissenters, and forced gay citizens and other undesirables into labor camps. Everybody was totally convinced that Castro was the worst guy in the world. All the Cuban people were going to rise up in rebellion against Fidel Castro. They forgot that he educated their kids, gave them health care, totally transformed the society. You know, not to say that uh, Fidel Castro or Cuba are perfect. They are certainly not. Castro was open about his need to limit individual rights in order to ensure collective rights. He understood that curbing press freedoms was a prerequisite for the success of a socialist government, saying he couldn't tolerate dissidents in the mass media because the people's cohesion is fundamental. If you ask us if a paper could appear here against socialism, I could say honestly, no, it cannot appear. In that sense, we do not have the freedom of the press that you possess in the U.S. But Sanders disagreed with Castro. He thought the American press was similarly compromised because it was controlled by politicians and big money interests. Beginning to read about the Cuban revolution, and what I was more impressed about is how it was being reported in the United States press. And I began to understand that you don't always hear all of the truth. For example, just last night I was watching Canadian television, which we get down here. There was a program on Cuba. We're not allowed to see those programs here in the United States. Just because Ronald Reagan dislikes these people does not need to say that the people in their own nations feel the same way. Today, the Cuban government censors the Internet, bans public displays of affection between gay couples, and jails people for criticizing the government. You could say there's some positive things in Cuba, some very negative things. Fifty years after the revolution, people still can't uh, dissent with freedom. The economy is terrible. But, you know, it's somehow... They've decided that Cuba is the only non-democratic country in the world. Who decided that? When you listen to Bernie Sanders, he really is mentally unstable. And he really is paranoid about America. Everything's about America's corporations, America the rich, America the imperialist, America this... I would strongly suggest the president run as the pro-American candidate and paint Bernie Sanders as the anti-American candidate. I think that's the theme, don't you, Mr. Producer? If it's Sanders, if he's the nominee, President Trump runs as the pro-American candidate 
And he runs against Sanders as the anti-American candidate. Paints him as the anti-American candidate that he is. And I'll bet he'd win in a landslide. Cut 18, go. Glory to the great Soviet people, the builders of communism. You know, the problem with the word socialism is that very often it's been equated with what happens in the Soviet Union, which is authoritarianism and totalitarianism. I believe very strongly in the right of dissent. Sanders traveled to the Soviet Union in 1988, three years before its collapse. He had gotten married to his second wife, Jane, the day before leaving, and the trip doubled as what he called, quote, a very strange honeymoon. Sanders formalized Burlington's relationship with its Russian sister city, Yaroslavl, and praised the communist government's social and cultural achievements. We went to a theater in Yaroslavl, which was absolutely beautiful, had three separate stages, including a puppeteer uh, area, and the cost, the highest price of a ticket that you can get, was the equivalent of $1.50. En route home, a journalist confronted him again at the airport with reporting by the Associated Press of dilapidated, unsanitary living conditions and food shortages in Yaroslavl. There was no hot water and no food. You know, I can't, none of us can exhaust, exhaust the study of living conditions in Yaroslavl. I didn't notice much deprivation. How it is that a fair statement? Later, he said he was impressed by Soviet officials' transparency in acknowledging their housing crisis, which he found comparable to America's. We have a major housing crisis, which they acknowledge. But they acknowledge that not only do they not have enough housing, but the construction and the quality of their housing is also not adequate. And they were very free uh, to mention that. But you know, one can't isolate a situation and say, look, socialism has failed over there compared to what? You know that in the United States of America today, the average married couple can no longer afford... See what I mean? See what I mean? He's the anti-American candidate. And that's that's how he must be portrayed. This is, I mean, to look around this country and not see all its wonders. And not see all the benefits and the luxuries, the opportunities. And to go on like this guy... He's the anti-American candidate. I'll say it over and over again until the backbenchers repeat it, which will probably be tomorrow. But I'm hoping the White House and the campaign can hear this. The president is the pro-American candidate. Bernie Sanders is the anti-American candidate. I don't care how much the press squawks. And here, I'll put it to a test. Go online and find anywhere where Bernie Sanders spends 30, 60, 90 seconds praising America. You won't find it. Or a speech, which is even longer, of course. You won't find it. Or an essay. You won't find it. You won't find it. Now, I can't believe the vast majority of Americans hate their own country. And yet Bernie Sanders does. He's an anti-American candidate. It's what he is. If the Democrats want to nominate an anti-American candidate... It falls on us to expose them. So you have a pro-American candidate in Trump, and if Sanders the nominee of the Democrat Party, you have an anti-American candidate. It's really that black and white. Last cut. Cut 19, Mr. Producer. Go. What I believe in has nothing to do with communism. After a failed run for governor of Vermont in 1986, around the fall of the Soviet Union, Sanders set his sights on higher office. You know, we freed the slaves a long, long time ago. But in many respects, the average working person today has very little rights. He rebranded himself a democratic socialist and won a seat in Congress in 1990. Authoritarian communism has been a 
vicious political system which over its length of time has resulted in the murder of many, many millions of people. As an economic system, it has not succeeded, and I'm delighted to see its demise. That has nothing to do with democratic socialism. Today, Sanders objects to comparisons between his policies and those of the Sandinistas or Castros. When I talk about democratic socialism, I'm not looking at Venezuela. I'm not looking at Cuba. I'm looking at countries like Denmark and Sweden. What hasn't changed is Sanders' unwillingness to acknowledge the political and economic realities of the countries he points to as models. Scandinavia is a bastion of free market capitalism. In the Libertarian Fraser Institute's 2018 Human Freedom Index, Norway, Denmark, and Finland ranked higher than the United States. And in 2015, the Danish Prime Minister directly contradicted Sanders' claims. I know that uh, some people in, in the U.S. associate the Nordic model with some sort of socialism. Therefore, I would like to make one thing clear. Uh, Denmark is uh, far from a socialist plant economy. It might surprise some of you, but Forbes last year named Denmark the best country in the world for business. Denmark does offer expansive social benefits, including single-payer health care, free education, and months of paid family leave. What is the catch, you could ask? And the most obvious one is, of course, the high taxes. The top income tax in Denmark is almost 60%. When you think about 90%, you don't think that's obviously too high? No. Danish citizens also pay a 25% sales tax and excise taxes on cars of up to 180%. But tax revenue in Nordic countries isn't enough to pay for their social programs, which are unsustainable in their current form. We have no choice but to reform our society in order to preserve the welfare state and the public support for it. Sweden is raising its retirement age and further privatizing parts of its healthcare system. In Finland, the coalition government recently resigned after it failed to pass reforms it viewed as crucial to averting financial ruin. Denmark is increasing its retirement age to 73 and cutting spending and taxes. The answer cannot always be send more money. I want to improve our competitiveness, reduce taxes for business, remove red tape. Sanders also points to Norway as a model, a country where massive oil production subsidizes the welfare benefits of a population that's roughly 62 times smaller than in the U.S. He never acknowledges fundamental differences between the Nordic countries and America or the true cost of the policies he champions. Sanders wants to offer even more generous benefits than those in Scandinavia and thinks that the wealthiest taxpayers can simply foot the bill. Well, so you're choice. saying we can pay for all this without raising taxes on anybody but the 1%? May have to go down a little bit lower than that, but not much lower. Sanders has proposed a government takeover of the healthcare sector, or about 18% of GDP, at a cost of $32 trillion over 10 years. He wants to increase Social Security benefits, offer free public college, and grant the state sweeping new powers to tackle climate change through the Green New Deal, policies that would add at least another $50 trillion to the budget. When you're dealing with the future of the planet, I don't know how you go too far. These are not radical extremist ideas. I am not coming before the American people and say, look, I am this radical, wild-eyed socialist crazy ideas, but listen to me, you know. You have more and more growth producing products that we do not necessarily need. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you don't necessarily need a choice of 23 underarm spray deodorants <laughs> or 18 different pairs of sneakers when children are hungry in this country. It's all in keeping with his decades-long pattern of ignoring the downsides of centralizing authority and massively increasing the size of the government. Massive investments, massive investments, massive investments, massive investments. My vision is not just making modest changes around the edge. 
It is transforming American society. So when I use the word socialist, and I know some people are uncomfortable about it, I say that it is imperative that we create a political revolution, and I hope you will be part of that movement, because if you are, we can, in fact, transform this country. So as American voters consider whether to sign up for part two of Sanders' political revolution, they should consider whether this time it really will be different. They really were talking about a transformation of society. Healthcare in Nicaragua is now free. It is terrible. It is very primitive compared to what we get. But they now have it free. He is a very foolish man filled with theories and abstractions and platitudes that have failed everywhere it's been tried. That's why... Democrats are trying to stop him. Not that their policies are any good. And that's why they should be free to stop him. Because he needs to be stopped. Either by them or by the Republican Party. Because if he is elected, don't think he can't be. Things happen. Look at Biden all of a sudden. Life has been breathed into Biden or quasi-life or whatever you want to call it. More on him in a moment. We'll be right back. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Let us go to... I'm looking, looking... Judy, Brooklyn, New York, the great WAPC. Go. Hi, Mark. So Hello. nice to hear your voice. Welcome back. I just Thank want to you. tell you something. Um, last night I heard a fantastic podcast. I was so blown away. And it goes right up to, the, to, to what you're talking about. And this podcast is someone you know really well. I, I, I really I was, don't like promoting other podcasts. My company doesn't like it since we have our own po- slew of podcasters here. So... Just tell me what was said that blew you away. Okay. So I heard one person say... Chris, they don't uh, promote me, do they? Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Everyone promotes you, Mark. You're the great one, right? Right? Okay. So I just want to say, this was a person who was basically oh. one of these Bernie Sanders types till he got his job, a, a job or a real job, and when he got his first paycheck... And he saw that almost half his paycheck went away to God knows where. That's when he got upset. And that's when reality kicked in. A lot of these people, they believe all this Pied Piper says, free this and free that. So when they go and they work hard 
and they a whole day, and then they see what they come home with, and they realize, wait a minute, where's part of my money going? Well, to? it depends, doesn't it? Let's say half your paycheck goes to the government, but then they wipe out your student loan, which is two hundred thousand dollars. Well, you know what? And then that, it goes to that's the that's going to be appealing to a lot of people. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Mark. Tell me something. Is this true? Mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders, was he the one that was the only one that voted for Khomeini and said that these 53 hostages when President Carter was... I, I, don't, I don't know. You'd have to Google it. I don't have that off the top of my head, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't remember. We'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. Well, let's talk about the hospitals in Cuba. Pan Am Post, this was sent to me the other day, panampost.com. Inside the Cuban hospitals that Castro and Bernie doesn't want tourists to see. The regime has neither provided Cubans with equality nor fairness in health care. The ruling elite, their relatives and friends get better service than the rest. By the time I climb the steps of the emergency room entrance in San Miguel, writes the author of the story, Belene Marty, uh, and that's in Havana, I could already tell that the supposed first-class health care provided in Cuba was a myth. Hospitals in the island's capital are literally falling apart. Friends told me to dress like a Cuban and not to speak while inside, since my Argentinian accent would give me away the moment I said hello. A member of the opposition Cuban Patriotic Union, a party, came along to guide me in my journey to the core of communist-style medicine. We entered the hospital at 10 p.m. on an ordinary Saturday night in September. Three out of the hospital's four stories were closed. Only the ER was operational. We've been waiting for an ambulance for four hours, yelled a man wearing green scrubs, who seemed to be a doctor. I sat on one of the four plastic chairs in the waiting area. My friend kept still and gestured to let me know I should remain silent and listen to the patients and their relatives. Twenty minutes went by and still no ambulance. The man in green scrubs remained at the mother's side on an improved, excuse me, on an improvised stretcher, trying not to lose his patience. They look like characters from the play waiting for Gadot. The scarce equipment available gave the building the appearance of a makeshift medical camp rather than a hospital in the nation's capital. I stood up and continued my tour. Two nurses stared at us but didn't say a word as we entered an intensive care unit where the facility's air-conditioned area began. My guide, taxi driver for tourists, who don't get to see this part of town, told me that all the doctors working the night shift are still in school. Indeed, none of them appear to be older than 25. 
The only working bathroom in the entire hospital had a single toilet, one toilet. The door didn't close, so you had to go with people outside watching. Toilet paper was nowhere to be found, and the floor was far from clean. I saw biological waste discarded in a regular trash can. The beds had no linens, and the only equipment around was the, be- was the bag of IV fluids hanging above them. All doctor's offices had handwritten signs on the doors, and at least four patients waited outside each room. The average wait time for each was around three hours. Orderlies were also nowhere to be seen. A young man had to push his mother on a stretcher until he reached the line of those waiting for an ambulance. I left the hospital after a couple hours. Once outside, puzzled by the large bags the people entering the hospital were carrying, I asked my friend to explain. Well, they have to bring everything with them because the hospital provides nothing. Pillow, sheets, medicine, everything. They have to bring it with them. Cuba's public health ministry runs all hospitals in the country and is in charge of centrally dictating public health policies. The socialized medical system, delivered at no charge to Cuban patients, is a key propaganda tool of the Castro regime. It's also a key propaganda tool of the would-be Sanders regime, I might add. He goes on, since the triumph of the revolution, making sure that Cubans have free health care has become a fundamental social cornerstone, Grana, the Communist Party official media outlet, boasts in an article, this is in line with the humanism and social justice of a revolutionary process, says the state-run newspaper. Socialists and progressives outside of Cuba have also been known to gush over the island's state-run health care system. In 2007, filmmaker Michael Moore released a documentary that featured U.S. citizens who traveled to Cuba to get free medical treatment. Moore claimed they received services comparable to what ordinary Cuban citizens would have received. He said in Sicko, quote, The Cuban people have free universal health care. They become known as having not only one of the best health care systems, but as being one of the most generous countries in providing doctors and medical equipment to third world countries. Yelian Jimenez Esposito, general director of the Cuban Medical Services, told the state-run newspaper in an interview that the secret lies in the medical training under a socialist system, where doctors do not view the patient as merchandise or a customer, where every citizen has a right to health care, from birth to the grave, without discrimination. However, Hilda Molina, a <coughs> Cuban neurosurgeon who turned against Castro, explained in an interview with El Cato that the whole sector is under tight government control, which shuts down private alternatives or independent organizations. He said, these arbitrary measures, aside from many other negative consequences, have a terrible impact ethically. The sacred doctor-patient relationship was replaced with an impersonal government-patient dynamic. When patients are forced to seek care from government-sanctioned doctors and facilities, they suffer distress, whether consciously or unconsciously, immersed in a deep sensation of insecurity. The regime has neither provided Cubans with equality nor fairness in health care, The ruling elite, their relatives and friends, get better service than the rest, Molina lamented. 
In other words, it's a crap system. And it would behoove our media to look under the sheets. And to be honest, which of course they're incapable of. Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders says that the President of the United States is a threat to our Constitution. Bernie Sanders doesn't even embrace our Constitution. You cannot be a Marxist. You truly can't even be a progressive and embrace a limited central republic. You just can't. And this is why their judges, the Obama judges and the other judges, are as radical and activist as they are. They do not accept the constitutional construct. They can't. Now here's Bernie Sanders on ABC's This Week with Weak Stephanopoulos. Cut eight, go. The New York Times reported this week that President Obama has told associates that it could be difficult to unify the party if you're the nominee. I really don't think so. Look, Trump is such a threat to... Right, let, let's, our... let, let, let us stop. This is what the Marxists do. They have to create endless boogeymen. Sure, he can unite the Democrat Party because of Trump. Trump's a threat to our Constitution. Trump appoints judges who believe in our Constitution. Trump has followed the Constitution. Trump has followed every single court order. Trump has followed every federal statute. I have no idea what he's talking about. He has no idea what he's talking about. Go ahead. To our way of life, that while Democrats may have differences of opinion, yeah, I have differences with Joe Biden, no great secret. Joe voted for the war in Iraq. Joe voted for a bad bankruptcy bill. Joe voted for bad trade agreements. But at the end of the day, I have known Joe Biden for a very long time. He's a decent guy. I have no doubt that if I win, Joe will be there. If Joe ends up winning, I will be there. We are going to come together, and President Obama, in my view, I hear said this, will play a leading role in helping whoever the Democratic nominee is. We are facing in Donald Trump, somebody who is a... This is, this is where he goes on a rant, the way he did with Netanyahu, with this old red, uses the tactics of Stalin. Go ahead. Running a corrupt administration. How is this administration corrupt? It's not corrupt in the least. What is he talking about? A corrupt administration. Trump's a pathological liar. Actually, Bernie Sanders is a pathological liar. Go ahead. Millions of independents and a number of Republicans understand we cannot have somebody like Trump win re-election. Why? Done a hell of a good three years in the first term. Great in many respects. So what is it that he's threatening? Is he threatening the existence of Congress? No. He's not threatening anything. I'll give you an example of what I mean with Bernie Sanders. Here he is yesterday in Los Angeles. Listen carefully to this. Cut 10, go. We're going to end private prisons and detention centers. Corporations should not be profiting by locking up fellow Americans. And we finally are going to end the destructive war on drugs. Now, it turns out, as you all know, there are some things that a president can do by executive order. There are other things you need legislation for. Turns out, 
that you could legalize marijuana in every state in this country by executive order. Ah, see? But he believes in the Constitution. He believes in the Constitution. So by executive order, he will legalize pot in every state, he says. Now, the left likes to talk about the Constitution, but they hate the Constitution. That's why they appoint these radical kook judges. Look what Obama did when it came to DACA and immigration. He made a law and instituted it by presidential fiat, which is utterly unconstitutional. You have Bernie Sanders saying, I'll go on one better. I'm going to just issue an executive order and legalize marijuana in every state. In every state. Tell me, is that what the framers had in mind? Can you imagine the framers ratifying a constitution that gave a president authority to do that? I can't. I certainly cannot. So who is it that's going to damage the Constitution? Who is it who is a threat to our Constitution? Can you imagine what kind of judges this clown would appoint? Can you imagine what kind of political appointees he'd make, over 3,000 of them throughout the bureaucracy? Can you imagine the regulations they would put in place? He hates capitalism. What is capitalism? It's a market system that creates competition, that improves our lives. So he will put people in place who are as radical and anti-Semitic, bigoted, Marxists throughout the federal government. You won't even know who most of them are. Who have the power of this fourth branch of government, the administrative state, to put all these rules in place. And if you're a hard-working, blue-collar worker and you think this guy sounds cool, he's going to destroy you. He's going to destroy your jobs. He's going to destroy your, your pension. He's going to destroy your health care system. You're his target. You're his target. This is what the, the radical left does. Cut 11, go. I will not allow the continuation of the demonization of immigrants in this country. First of all, first of all, if there's such a horrible demonization of immigrants in this country, why do they keep coming here? It is a perfectly legitimate and responsible position to be debating the wisdom of our immigration rules and illegal immigration. It is perfectly legitimate. It's not racist. It's not xenophobic or anything of the sort. To debate the consequences of this to a nation. So he says he's going to legalize the status of 1.8 million illegal aliens who are eligible for DACA. So I just told you, he talks about upholding the Constitution. He talks about how Trump won't. But by upholding DACA and legalizing even more people than DACA requires. He's not upholding the Constitution. He's burning the Constitution. That's exactly what he's doing. So I just wanted to point out, out of both sides of his big mouth, this is who it is. This is what he is. We've talked about this before, but he he constantly attacks American corporations. Constantly. It's hard enough to compete worldwide as as an American business. But when you have a president in place who's rooting against you, who's kneecapping you, who's taxing you, is regulating you, who's trying to destroy you, well, guess what? Guess who gets the competitive advantage? 
The foreign companies do because their governments are not doing it to them. Not even the Chinese. They don't do it to their governments. Excuse me, to their corporations. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Chris Matthews, hold on, I'm pulling it up, announces retirement, mutually parts waves with MSNBC. Now, this is shortly after a guest accused him of sexual harassment some time ago. Chris Matthews announces retirement, mutually parts ways with MSNBC. Matthews was due to retire in the near future with the events of the past week playing a factor in the timing of the move, an MSNBC spokesperson said. One of the longest tenured voices at MSNBC said he's retiring during Monday night's airing of his talk show, Hardball. Matthew, 74, I didn't know he was that old, said he and MSNBC mutually agreed to part ways. The decision followed a series of events that resulted in criticisms of the host's statements about Bernie Sanders, African-American lawmakers, and comments he made to female journalists and co-workers. I'm retiring. This is the last Hardball on MSNBC. Now, with all due respect, Mr. Producer, I think the world's going to continue rotating on its axis. I never watched this show. I think it was on it like 10, 15 years ago, years and years ago. But I literally never watched his show. Even when he would attack me, even when we play clips, I never watched the man's show. And apparently nobody else did either. But the sexual harassment stuff... uh, I think this has gone on for a while, quite frankly. All right, let's take some some calls here. We don't have a lot of time in this segment. Let's see. Let's go to Daryl, Alexandria, Louisiana, the great KSYL. Go. Hey, Mark, thank you for taking my call. You got um, it. I heard you talking about Cuba, and I had firsthand experience. My excuse wife, me, excuse Cuban. me, excuse me, it's Cuba. Oh, sorry, forgot the R. Yes. Um, anyway, um, we went to visit her family after many years, um, you know, of not seeing them. Her dad was a political prisoner and whatnot. And anyway, her, her grandmother fell and broke her hip the first day we were there and called for an ambulance to come and get her. There's no ambulance. Or there's one ambulance assigned to their area, but nowhere around. So um, thankfully, one person in the family had a little car. 
Uh, we had to carry her to the car with a broken hip. You know, it was actually a femur that was broken. It was kind wow. of splintered. Um, carry her like a baby to the car. Go to the first clinic. Uh, this is in, you know, the middle of the night. Go to the first clinic. Hold on. I want, I want to continue this. Please don't hang up. We want to talk about paradise in Cuba that Bernie Sanders keeps pointing to. And these are people with real-world experiences in these Sanders communist paradises. So we'll be right back. The Mark Levin Show is tomorrow's morning show. You can reach Mark now at 877-381-3811. What is it that uh, Chris Matthews said? He had a tingle up his leg or something, Mr. Producer? What was it? A, a thrill down his leg. Apparently he had thrills otherwise, other places, too. Uh, and he won't be at MSNBC anymore. You know, they're worse things. They're not being at MSNBC, that's for sure. Problem is, if you're a leftist, there's really nowhere else to go. Where do you go? I don't know. CNN? Uh, before we move on here, I want to get to back to our friend Daryl, who's on hold. He's been to the Cuban hospital with his, with his mother-in-law, I believe. Go ahead, Daryl. Hey, thank you, Mark. Uh, it's actually my uh, grandmother-in-law, my, grandmother-in-law. my wife's uh, grandmother Anyway, she broke her hip, uh, femur was split in, in two, and so she's in pain. We're calling, trying to get an ambulance. There's no ambulance to come and get her. So we have to literally take her to the, to the car, to the one car that was in the family, and carry her like a, like a baby into the car. Now, this is excruciating pain. Put her oh, in yeah. the car, take her to the first clinic we could find, get her out. Try to try to get her in, or, or you know, take her in. They said, "Oh, we don't have any medicine here. We can't take her. Go to this other clinic. Put her back in the car. Go to another clinic. Same thing. We we can't we can't take her. Come back. Finally, get to the third clinic. They show up with a gurney, with a metal gurney. There's no sheets. There's no pillow. There's nothing. It's a metal gurney. So when we were getting ready to take her to the hospital, her aunts. Um, we're getting all of the, the bed sheets and all this kind of stuff. And my wife said, what, do, what are y'all doing? said, oh, we have to take all of this with us or we don't have it. Uh, and so, so we're just like flabbergasted. We had no idea. And so they finally get to the, to the third clinic who can take her. Um, they have some aspirin or something like that for pain. Uh, she has to wait about five or six days before they could do surgery, a surgery that should have taken about an hour or two, took about eight hours to do. Um, she never came to after that. Um, she, her mind was gone. Uh, I mean, she didn't die. Well, well, what, what do you mean? Well, she, she just she was under anesthesia for so long, and they don't have proper monitoring equipment there. No, uh, they, never... they destroyed her brain. Well, yes. And, um, and also, when they would come out to do like an EKG, they had one lead, one little sticky thing. They put on her heart. They run a little thing they take the sticky thing off put on the other side of her chest and that and that and then they would take that little sticky thing and go to the next patient um in in the hospital room i if you would see the where where they were staying if we kept dogs like this in america they would you'd be put out of business you'd be put in jail there was no there was no running water the bathrooms were just like you said there was there was just 
no, nothing running. If you wanted toilet paper, you brought it. Um, the smell, I mean, there was no air conditioning, obviously. Um, you know, there's just bugs coming in and out. It was horrific. It was like nothing you could ever imagine, but it was all free. And, and so then when we have to, you know, once, once you get out, then you go to, to a pharmacy, quote, pharmacy, to get your medicine. They have one pharmacy for the Cuban people and another pharmacy for the tourists. The pharmacy for the tourists looks like a Walgreens or something like that. It has all the medicine you need, whatever you want, but you've got to have American dollars to pay for it. The, the one for the Cuban people that's free, you go in there and you might can find a bottle of aspirin or Tylenol, and that's it. And, I mean, it's just like empty shelves. It is unbelievable. Now, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, Daryl. Our media could see what you saw if they wanted to bother. Send a few undercover types there, correct? Yes. And Bernie Sanders knows what's going on there. He's got enough friends in Cuba to know what's going on there. And yet when I go into a doctor's office in this country, I'm constantly flabbergasted at how amazing it is. How apps, how clean it is, how amazing it is, uh, how proficient people are. And all they do is attack it, attack it, attack it. I'm, I'm telling you, the, the stories we, we would tell people when we come back, their mouths are just open. Like, there's no way you could believe it. It's like, it's like you're making stuff up. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, the rooms were not even rooms. They were sort of like those half-wall things where, you know, you could hear, obviously, anything on the other side. Uh, they had, you know, there was no kind of separation of anything. Uh, you could hear other patients, you know, in pain or whatever's going on and, and, and whatnot. It was just, it, you, you can't imagine how horrible it was. And, but it's all free, you know. I, I heard some, I don't remember who it was, this was years ago, some senator or maybe a representative or something in California going on and on about how good the medical system was in Cuba. And I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, are you serious? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, there's no way they can since actually- Since, uh, one one thousandth of a percent of our population will look at the or be aware of the medical system in Cuba, the lies, they get away with the lies. And since we have a media that serves as the propaganda wing for the radical progressives in this country, because they are radical progressives, again, people will not know what's going on in these hospitals in Cuba or Venezuela or anywhere else. And they won't know the truth about what goes on in the vast majority of our hospitals where people are treated with respect doesn't mean it's as efficient as you like. It doesn't mean it costs the price that you think it should cost. But it does mean that you have alternatives, that you have options, that you have health care, real health care. All right, my friend, thank you for your call. Excellent call. And special lips up the wazoo. And the way you improve our system, by the way, is not with more government. It's with less government. It's with more options, more competition. More insurance companies offering more policies, different kinds of policies, some that are more comprehensive than others, some that address the kind of illness that may run in your family. Men don't need pregnancy tests. Women don't need prostate tests. And we can go on and on and on about it. And on top of that, rather than trying to destroy our pharmaceutical companies, we should encourage them to do even more. And the way you encourage them to do more is to stop beating up on them all the time with regulations and so forth. Why do you think Canada has generics that they can sell cheaper? 
because they steal the patents from our companies that spend billions and billions of dollars, and they turn around, or they don't even steal the patents. They wait for the patents to run out because they only last a certain amount of time. And the patents run out, and then you can make a generic. So they make a generic, and they undercut the price. Well, if we do that in this country, we're not going to have these new drugs invented. It's not going to happen. Supply and demand and R&D and capital investment. It's very basic. You know, let's face it. There's no, and I know I'm the only one who will say this. I know. But I'm happy to stand in front of the, uh, the storms and the winds out there that are going in the opposite direction. I don't care. The truth is the truth. Let's face it. There's no such thing as private browsing. Even in incognito mode, even if you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider can see every single website you've ever visited. Are you aware of this? That's why I go online. I never go online without using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN makes sure your internet service provider can't see what sites you visit. Instead, your internet connection is rerouted through ExpressVPN's secure services. Each ExpressVPN server has an IP address that's shared among thousands of users. That means everything you do is anonymous and can't be traced back to you. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data with the best-in-class encryption, even when you're using public Wi-Fi like at a cafe or a hotel. Using the Internet in confidence from your computer, tablet, or smartphone, simply tap one button and you're protected. So protect your online activity today with the VPN that I trust to secure my privacy. Visit my special link. Please check it out. It's at expressvpn, as in Nancy, dot com slash mark. Expressvpn.com slash mark. You can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash mark expressvpn.com slash mark to learn more. Narciso, Miami, Florida, XM Satellite, how are you? Fine, sir. How are you doing? It's a pleasure and a privilege to speak with you, Mr. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to talk about the situation you were talking about, the medicine. Your prior speaker was correct. And the thing that was, I was born in Cuba. I was raised in this country, one of the most wonderful countries in the world. I came here and lost my own country, like you were saying, Cuba. I lost my country because of the socialism and the communism that exists there. Mm -hmm. I just tell all your people and everybody who's listening, do not go that route of Bernie Sanders because... We cannot lose this great and wonderful nation that we have here. Can you imagine surrendering, surrendering, not at a point of the gun, not at a point of a, of, a, uh, of a sword, surrendering your liberty, surrendering your lifestyle, surrendering the lifestyle of your children and generations yet born, surrendering your civil society, the greatest on the face of the planet since humankind existed. For what? For a 70-year-old communist throwback out of Brooklyn, New York, 
who knows how to talk about free this and free that and free this and free that? Are we really going here, sir? It seems like some people are. That's one thing that we can never, ever do. The reason that I'm here is my parents took me and my, my, and my siblings and my uncle, who was in prison because of the communist system, we broke him out and we came to this country in 1962 and been here ever since. I never set foot back in a communist country and do not believe in supporting any type of communist country. You know, Americans uh, need to listen to Cuban Americans who lived it. Americans need to listen to Venezuelan Americans who are living it and have lived it. Americans need to listen to Russians and Eastern Europeans who lived under the Iron Curtain and the Soviet Union. They need to listen to these people because you're the people who can tell us the truth, not Bernie Sanders. Thank you for your call. I'll be right back. You know, folks, I honestly believed, and I used to say I was born in the wrong time. Didn't I say that, Mr. Producer? That I really feel I should have been born, born at the founding. Can you imagine? I mean, we wouldn't have the luxury we have today, but now I'm convinced I was born at the right time. To help lead the fight against the Marxists. To help lead the fight against the anti-constitutionalists. The anti-Americans. To help lead the fight against this president. And any other man or woman who will stand up to the mob. I really believe now through radio, digital TV, cable TV, and my books, but especially radio, I am at the right place in the right time in history. I don't know, did I ever tell that story? And I don't mean this to be self-serving, I'm just, you're my family, I tell you these things. You know, my father, as you know, joined the Army Air Corps when he was 17. And they threw him out when they learned he was 17. He went back and joined when he was 18. He wound up in the regular Army. In the end, that's what he wanted to do. <clears throat> but he, they never shipped him overseas, given the timing and everything. And it kind of irritated him. My mother's father, my grandfather, you know, he fought at Iwo Jima in Guam, and his brother-in-law fought at Guadalcanal and so forth. <clears throat> but a few years before he passed away, my dad said to me, now I know why. I said, no, why what? He said, now I know why I wasn't shipped overseas. I said, why? You know what he said, Mr. Producer? Because of me. I said, because of me? He said, that's right, because of you. He said, the good Lord wanted your mother and me to have you. <clears throat> I'm not patting myself on the head. Trust me, I, I don't need to. I'm not. 
But I've struggled with this for a long time. Am I in the right place at the right time in history? Not that I have any choice, but really. And I feel much like the founding fathers. This is who we are and this is where we are now. And we have to restate our principles, reinforce them, be as resolute as ever. Because we have an enemy. It's domestic. It's not a foreign enemy, it's domestic. And as I say over and over again, these people, these forces are using our Constitution against us and they're using our liberty against us. They're using the Constitution to destroy it and they're using liberty to destroy it. They've done a hell of a good job from their perspective. They run our schools. They run our entertainment. They run a bureaucracy that they created, a fourth branch of government that you won't even find in the Constitution for the longest time. They run our courts. So it is a daunting task that we have. Every bit is difficult, quite frankly. As the founders, in some ways more complex and complicated. This isn't a shooting war. This is a battle of persuasion and ideas. And so I'm glad to be in this battle with you. So I now believe that this is the right time and the right place in our history. Don't you wish with the post office right now? I mean, me neither. Running a business or keeping up with your schedule takes a lot of time, and sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day. You've got more important things to do. That's why you need Stamps.com. Anything you can do at the post office, you can do at Stamps.com. Their on-demand postage means you can skip that trip to the post office, and time isn't the only thing you'll be saving. With Stamps.com, You can get $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off shipping rates. Not to mention it's a fraction of the cost. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Right now, you, my listeners, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in the word bunker. That's crucial. Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in the word bunker. You don't have to go to the post office ever again for the rest of your lives. Stamps.com, enter bunker. Big, powerful hour next. I hope you'll join us. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. 
Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know, I must be living in an alternative universe, or watching one, or listening to one. It's Bernie Sanders versus the D.C. elite. Is that really what's going on here, ladies and gentlemen? Bernie Sanders versus the D.C. elite. And they're opposed to Sanders because he he wants corporations to pay the same effective tax rates as individuals. That's not what's going on here. That's not what's happening here. Bernie Sanders is a dangerous man, ladies and gentlemen. I don't believe we've ever had a candidate running for president of the United States or seeking the nomination who so hates his own country that he embraced the Soviet Union, that he embraced Nicaragua, that he embraced Cuba, that he embraced Venezuela, that he embraced Zimbabwe, and these genocidal regimes. It's nothing to do with the corporate tax rates. And if the Democrat Party is worried about its own survival, because Bernie Sanders is not a member of the Democrat Party, lest we forget, that's normal. That's natural. I I, I am perplexed and confounded by this, Mr. Medusa. This is what I've always told you folks. You're not national populists. Because national populism... And democratic socialism, let's play their game, overlap. And that's why you find these national populists so sympathetic towards democratic socialists. And the irony is the national populists want a bigger government to interfere in our society, to have a level playing field for fairness in many ways. They're the bastard offspring of the democratic socialists. They just have a different attitude about it. I reject it all. I reject it all. So did the founders. They weren't national populists. Read your Declaration of Independence. Is that about national populism? No. It's about natural law and republicanism. This is why I wrote the book, Rediscovering Americanism, not nationalism, not populism. Are you a nationalist? Will you believe the federal government should crush the states and individuals and private property owners? It's a, it's a failure of understanding language, let alone concepts, that these people are using. It's Americanism, not nationalism. You love your country. It's patriotism, not nationalism. What makes America great isn't nationalism. It's our unique American principles. 
Otherwise, you get caught up in defending Bernie Sanders. Poor Bernie Sanders. The Democrat establishment is out to get him. This is called a primary. A primary. Bernie Sanders isn't Ronald Reagan running against the system, as he did in 68, 76, and 80. Bernie Sanders isn't Donald Trump running against the system, as he did in 2016. Bernie Sanders has been around forever. He's been a councilman. He's been a mayor. He's been a congressman. He's been a senator. Now he wants to be president. He is the system in many respects. He just wants to massively expand it, further centralize it. He wants to take the system by its horns, so to speak, and really wrestle it to the ground. He's not anti-system. He's anti-American. He wants to take the New Deal and multiply it by a thousand. So it's really absurd to try and create the impression or the false narrative that poor Bernie Sanders is being put upon by the Democrat establishment. Good! Expose him. And they should be exposed too. You know, I had this discussion in many ways with uh, Charlie Kirk on Life, Liberty, and Levin. We've got a lot of excellent feedback. We went deep. We got into philosophy and so forth. And uh, we could have gone on and on and on, he and I. And turns out, from a young age, he was a regular listener to this radio show, which makes me very proud, because this young man, Charlie Kirk, he's only 26, is really, really top shelf. Top shelf. And here's some of what we said. Cut 13, go. So you seem to be saying, Charlie Kirk, that Bernie Sanders is the end result of what's been going on for decades in government schools, in colleges and universities with pretty much a monopoly of ideology, a monopoly of faculty uh, ideologues, and that it's starting to have consequences, serious consequences. And you see Republicans, and I see some who are in broadcast, and they're actually giddy. Now, we don't know if Bernie Sanders will be the nominee, but the fact that we don't know to me, is problematic. I posted something when I was in Israel, and I said, my fellow conservatives, what are you cheering about? I totally agree with you. And not only that, he has moved the Democrat Party, and so have others. AOC, Talib, Omar, really fringe characters. Mm-hmm. They've moved the center of the Democrat Party. They've moved the center of the political debate. And this is something we have to battle and be aware of, is it not? Look, we... We have to understand that whatever happens on college campuses will soon happen in the halls of Congress. And we should not be cheering on the rise of a Marxist in our country in any form, shape whatsoever. We defeated communism when the Berlin Wall fell down. But then we fell asleep at the wheel and we've allowed the same Marxist ideas to infiltrate the minds of our most prized possession in our country, which is our young people. And so you're exactly, Mark, you're exactly right, Mark, when you say that We should not be celebrating the rise of a Marxist. And you're all of a sudden seeing ideas that otherwise would have been considered radical in the Democrat Party now become mainstream. And so I get people, people ask me all the time, well, what can we do about this? What can I do about the rise of socialism in our country? 
And, and you, hit the, you hit the nail on the head. It's government-run schools that are the primary culprit for why this has happened. Bernie Sanders is just a byproduct of a broken culture. He is, he's exploiting a generation that has been trained to be victims. He's exploiting a generation and a populace that wants to take other people's money away. And that's, it's very easy to be generous with other people's money. In fact, what, we, what you and I have to communicate to the American people, liberty and freedom, is actually a harder sell, if you will. It's harder to tell people to work harder or wake up earlier or metaphorically pull yourself up by the bootstraps. What Bernie Sanders is talking about is student loan forgiveness, debt cancellation, universal and free You never have to get out of bed. That's right. And it's the work less, get more free stuff, mediocre agenda of the Democrat Party. And make no mistake, the socialist movement in this country is not going away if we defeat it at the ballot box in November. We have to defeat it. No matter who the nominee is, they're going to have 40 to 50 percent of that party that are socialists. The question I always ask people is, do you think America is going to be more or less socialist in 10 years? And the only correct answer to that question is what's happening in culture. What are our students reading? Are they reading the founding fathers? Do they understand American history? Are they appreciative of this gift that we've been given from God? And the answer is, more times than often, no. And that's why we operate with a sense of urgency that we do at Turning Point USA, because we have been winning politically as conservatives over the last 10 or 15 years, but we've been losing tragically culturally. Cut 14, go. This word liberty, when you hear, and it's not just Sanders, you hear the squad, you hear the left, you hear the media talk about liberty. They define liberty through the guise of government programs, welfare, redistribution of wealth, wealth tax, free education, free this. That's not liberty. At some point, that's tyranny because you're stealing from other people. And not just billionaires. We don't have enough billionaires to fund all this. You're stealing it from men and women who get up every morning and work for a living. This word liberty has been hijacked, too. Like the phrase democratic socialism, there's no such thing. You're either a socialist Marxist or you're not. What does liberty mean to people who really understand and believe in liberty? For those of us that understand what that word means and not the misrepresented part of it, it means that, first and foremost, We have natural rights from our creator, the right to your unconsciousness, the right to your decisions, the right to make good decisions and bad decisions, going back to the idea of private property. But also that idea of liberty is quite honestly a new new idea governmentally in the last couple hundred years. Very few societies actually allowed citizens to have liberty in human history. In fact, the norm was typically the absence of liberty. The norm was tyranny. The norm was a permanent serf class and a despot, dictator, or ruler exploiting the citizenry and people dying for some war probably by the age of 30 or 35. When liberty came around, not just economic liberty or personal liberty, you either have liberty or you don't. You don't get to pick and choose what kind of liberty you want. It's not some sort of buffet option. But that year of 1776 was so important, not just because of the Declaration of Independence, but also because of the Wealth of Nations written by Adam Smith. Now, he did not create or invent capitalism, but he observed it. One could say he almost discovered it. And he was asking the question, why are certain rich, why are certain countries richer than others? It was basically the title is not wealth of nations. It's an inquiry into the cause of wealth of nations because he was so 
curious as to why certain countries and certain areas, specifically in Scotland, where we got the Scottish Enlightenment, were doing so much better than others. And what he found and what he realized and concluded is this word liberty, where people were allowed to make choices, people's lives actually got better. Here's the problem with liberty, though, is that liberty breeds apathy. And one of our genius founding fathers articulated that, which is when people have liberty over a couple generations, you're going to have hierarchies be created. So let's pretend, Mark, that there actually was enough money to confiscate from all the billionaires. It still wouldn't be moral. It still wouldn't be correct. And that would be a violation of the tenet of liberty. Because if they, in order for them to get that wealth, they actually had to trade voluntarily with other people to make themselves rich and people equally as rich along the way. One more clip, cut 15, go. The American Revolution, the French Revolution, they were completely different revolutions. One had a real purpose, and the purpose of the American Revolution wasn't to destroy society. It was to embrace the principles that these colonists believed in and to throw off a wretched monarchy. Then you had the French Revolution, the purpose of which was to fundamentally transform their society, destroy it top to bottom. You had 10 years of terrorism in the French Revolution. Explain the difference. Well, the philosophical difference was one was based in liberty and the other was based in a form of status, collectivist, secular, utopian ideal. The, the false promise of utopia is something that the left has been using for thousands of and by, years. And by the way, the, folks, the book Emeritopia, Honest to God, covers this very, very thoroughly. But go ahead. When they took power in France, they literally abolished time. They wanted to restart the calendar and get rid of the agrarian-based calendar because they said all history before us is irrelevant. We're going to start history now. What does that sound like, by the way? It sounds quite similar to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying everyone before us has gotten everything wrong before us. And sounds like Marx. Sounds like Karl Marx. It's the exact same sort of hubris and lack of respect for the thinkers and the sacrifice of people preceding you. The founding fathers were appreciating the sacrifice of the religious, liberty, Judeo-Christian values of the colonies. You have to understand that the people that came to America and founded the colonies originally, they left seeking liberty and freedom and put their entire life on the line. They could have died on the voyage over. They could have died of disease. There is no guarantee it would have worked out for them. And then they started to live under oppressive rule from, from King George and from the monarchy, and they rebelled into the formation of the greatest, most prosperous, generous, benevolent civilization ever created in the history of the world. France, to your point, was a rebellion not inspired by the American Revolution. That is a, that is a lazy interpretation of history. It was inspired by greed. And that's what drives the collectivists and the socialists. They were upset that the French ruling class was living so well. So instead of having an American-based revolution in France where they wanted to restore natural rights and restore private property, they decided to begin what ended up being a decades-long slaughter of infighting, collectivist control. They tried what was called the Paris Commune for a very short period of time, which ended up being a total and complete disaster. I think it's rather instructive because the left will always operate in predictable patterns. We can learn also from the Russian Revolution, which was different than the French Revolution. But this revolution right now, that this revolution that they're trying to do in America, is a little bit of a mixture of both. The reason it's different, though, 
is that never before have we seen a Marxist, Marxist revolution be so outwardly against the country they're trying to take over. The Russian Revolution, they actually disguise themselves as pro-Russian. They're actually trying to take over the country while convincing the populist it's a horrible and evil country. All right, back live. This is why Life, Liberty, and Levin's becoming a fixture of Sunday night programming. Seriously. Why many of you watch it live if you can or you DVR it. Because it's not your typical program on cable or network or on satellite or anywhere. And I'm going to keep it that way. And Charlie Kirk uh, was absolutely superb. We have a tremendous guest coming up this Sunday, Bob Woodward. And many of these people you may not be familiar with. Some of you are. Bob Woodward has been a leading light in the conservative movement for civil rights for a long time as an (coughs) African-American. Excuse me. And uh, he's pulled together this project that counters the 1619 project that America was founded in slavery. He's going to be an absolutely fascinating guest as well. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. So let's see here. Let me call on, see if he's still there. By the way, folks, we're going to have an engineer come here next week to the bunker and clean all this up. My printer doesn't work. It hasn't worked in three months. My call screen doesn't work. It hasn't worked in what, Mr. Four months? I mean, you have no idea what I'm doing, what I'm dealing with here. Our backup is down. What, are we on the Internet? We're broadcasting via an Internet connection. Our ISDN line is down. I mean, you, you have no idea. One little wrong move and we're off the air. I'm serious. Hear that, Russia? Right. So I read the ads off my iPhone. That's why something. Why is he reading it? Because I have to. Anyway, if we had a camera in here, you'd be laughing, folks. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. The new American Revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. Anyone come up with a cure yet for bronchitis? Every day I'm waiting. I'm just kidding. There is no damn cure. All you can do is try and control it. Uh, Let's see. Patrick, Garnerville, Nevada, on the Mark Levin app. How are you, Patrick? Mark has my national treasure. Thank you. Very well. Two quick points. Number one, I just got Morris McCallum's book today. Wonderful. By the way, it's a great book. She's a lovely lady. Go ahead. I can't wait to start reading it. The other other question is, is, what is your take? currently with what's going on with Netanyahu. Well, my, I just looked. looks like they have 59 seats. You need 61 to control the government there. Now, here's the thing for everyone to understand. There's a guy by the name of Lieberman who's taken six or seven seats with him. He used to be Likud. If he hadn't broken off, Likud would have won by a landslide by now. This blue and white party stands for everything and nothing at the same time. But for the reliance on the Arab parties that do not even support the state of Israel. They wouldn't even have, they would have, uh, they'd be in the 40s. So they wouldn't even be close to 61. So this blue and white party and coalition really is a Star Wars bar scene. It really is a mishmash of everybody and nobody. So it wouldn't even last that long, this government. These are all the people who hate Netanyahu. And have hated his wonderful policies. Likud and their allies, the more religious parties as an example, they have 59 seats. They need two more. So they hopefully should be able to get them from two people, maybe uh, former Likud members. But that's the number now, 59. Some of the IDF vote is still out there. Some of the vote of the diplomats are still out there. Uh, So those will come in. So 59 or 60. So he's very, very close. He should get it. And my take is that Israel really dodged a bullet because Netanyahu is a great man. And when you look at the guy who was running against Gantz, Gantz was sort of Joe Biden. He couldn't complete sentences. He couldn't remember who was interviewing him. Something's not right with this guy. Plus, as I say, he's, he's leading a party that just wants power that doesn't really stand for anything. And when you look at the neighborhood Israel's in, the dangers it faces, Day in and day out. They can't afford it. Now what's going to be very important is the next two weeks. 
Hopefully Netanyahu can put a government together quickly. Then he has to face down an attorney general who, in my view, is really corrupt. I don't mean he's on the take. I mean he's corrupt. He has abused his office. The police there are quite different than our police. The setup is quite different than our setup here. It's much worse. And they brought these charges against Netanyahu that are utterly and completely bogus. And uh, I did a program on this on Levin TV, our digital program at Blaze, with my buddy Arthur Ferguson, and we, we laid out how outrageous this is. But that trial begins in two weeks. Netanyahu is a remarkable man, much like Trump. How he continues to govern. When I interviewed him, he had a great sense of humor, extremely charismatic, very positive, very strong, you know, sharp as can be. And you got to wonder how he can do it. It's amazing. That's my answer. All right, Mark. Thank you. God bless. And you too. God bless us and God bless America. All right. Barry, somewhere in Florida, the great WSKY. Go. Hello, Mark. God bless you. You were born in the right time. And don't ever say anything different. Thank you, Uh, sir. Yeah, and uh, listen, you know, uh, Eddie Youngman was the uh, great, uh, was the king of one-liners. Bernie, Bernie's one-liners make us all cringe because he never says anything. He just comes out with a sentence, and when they ask him for facts or something to back it up, he said, well, what do we know? What do we know? What do we health, know? Health care is a right. And uh, what, what does that line mean? is that he is a despot. He's been for more than 50 years. He was a radical uh, Marxist communist community organizer following in Obama's footsteps in Chicago. And the bottom line was that uh, he has never supported... No, 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 no. He never followed Obama's footsteps. He was out there even before Obama. Trust me on this. Bernie Bernie has been an old red his entire life. Even when he went to a kibbutz in Israel, it was a, an infamous Marxist kibbutz. I mean, a really radical Marxist kibbutz. He didn't just go to a commune. He went to a communist commune. And this has been his whole life. And he's on tape, video, audio. He's written. There's no escaping this now. So well, let me ask you this. <clears throat> what do you think of these so-called nationalist populists? Who defend the guy against Biden and the Democrats? I'm saying, why are you defending the guy? Why do you pretend that you care about the guy? It's weird. Well, I still there. All right, my friend, I've stymied you with my genius. Thank you for your call. Let's see, I forget who I... Did I speak to John in Burbank, California, Sirius Satellite? How are you, John? I'm doing well, Mark. It's a great honor to speak to you. Isn't Adam Schiff your congressman? Unfortunately, yes. I don't tell that too many people that. But I remember I, I when I remember when Burbank was Republican. Burbank and Pasadena, those areas were Republican at one point. You know, that wasn't that long ago. When I moved here in 1984, Did you get all right. Bet you're right about that. Go right ahead. Uh, occupied by uh, radical leftist, uh, uh, elitist, uh, Marxist, and homeless people, and I'm, yes. I'm trapped here. I, help me, help me. Somebody, somebody yes. come and get me. I'll throw your lifeline. Anyway, yes. Anyway, anyway. Um, so, uh, great honor to speak to one of the intellectual titans of our time. Uh, wow, well, aren't you kind? And I am a uh, admitted 
uh, disciple and junkie of your radio program and TV show on Sunday night. So, uh, Thank you. Um, and I... And I do that in a concerted effort to replenish any lost brain cells uh, by uh, channel surfing on cable and bumping into CNN and MSC, NBC remarks. Anyway, so all that behind us. Yes. Um, I have three. Oh, uh, random comments about segments of the previously part of, the previous part of your show. Yes. Number one, uh, you failed to mention... Um, most venomous of the multi-headed snake, which is our our leftist media. Oh yeah, because you. I didn't play. That. I didn't play the whole show, but you're exactly right. And of course, as you know, I wrote a whole book on it. And you're right; they're extremely detrimental to this society. And uh, uh, Hollywood and um, and uh, academia, and didn't mention media. But anyway, I felt I felt compelled to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly. Um, as far as your role in modern society and your karmic uh, price tag or whatever uh, in the ethereal world, um, Benjamin Franklin, the founding fathers, had to deal with the Tories, the British sympathizers in their day, and you now are cursed or blessed with the responsibility of dealing with the descendants of those Tories in modern society. So that's your, that's your curse or your blessing, as it were. Okay, brother. Thank you. Well, listen, thanks for your call. I really appreciate it and for being out there. It's very, very important. Uh, I think we'll be right back. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Can I give you a little word of caution? These people who tell you that they know who is going to be nominated and who's not going to be nominated are full of shingles. May I say shingles, Mr. Producer? They're all saying Bernie Sanders has a path Biden can't win. (coughs) What did I tell you? They might be right, but you never know. So why make these idiotic predictions? I have a thought who they might, no prediction, who they might pick as their running mate. Whether it's Bernie the Red or Joe the Dumb. Kamala Harris. Remember, this is a party that's about identity politics. Identity politics. 
Kamala Harris has been laying low. You haven't heard a damn thing from her. Nothing. You haven't heard it. She's the Helen Keller of the Senate right now. So I think, particularly if Biden gets the nomination, but either, but particularly Biden, I think he's looking at Kamala Harris. That's my guess. It's my guess. Let's continue, shall we? Mark, Passaic, New Jersey, I know exactly where it is. I know where the big, the big mall is. The great WABC. How are you, Mark? How are you, Mark? It's an honor to speak to you. Thank you, sir. So, actually, my grandfather owns an insurance company in Venezuela, or at least he used to own it. He still owns it, but they don't make any money. But Jeez. So, he actually, right before Christmas, was coming back to the U.S. to visit us, and he asked his, the workers, what do, they want him to, what do they want him to bring for them for Christmas? And they said, food. Not anything, not money, not, they didn't want, like, money, they wanted food. Because mm. even in, he's paying them full still, even though they're not making money, just, you know, to keep them alive. So he's taking it out of his own savings, no doubt. Yep. Right out of pocket for them, and they can't buy anything with that food. And we have a picture, he sent us a picture, of five of his workers standing there together, holding boxes that he brought for them of frozen meat, rice, fish, things like that. And by the way, if anybody publicly knows about it, they'll kill them for it. Yep, yep, that's exactly, that's why we, we actually thought about putting it on social media, and we didn't do it. And this is the workers' paradise. Mm-hmm. And they're starving to death over there. How are the billionaires doing over there? Not good. The billionaires over there are doing just fine. They're the Communist Party leaders. The only billionaires that are there are there in the government. That's correct. And this is how it works. It's horrible. Father, my grandfather listened to what Bernie says, and he laughs straight out loud. I remember we were just listening to it on the radio, something like that, and he, I just hear a laugh from behind me. I turn around, and he's roaring. Like, this guy's out of his mind. You know, your grandfather's a brave man to go back there, seriously. We tried to stop him, but he, he's, he, he loves it there. He loves his country. He's been shot. He's been knocked out many times throughout his life, but he stays. Incredible. I'm sorry to hear all this. Yes. <clears throat> Yet it's not surprising. It's a Marxist, iron-fisted regime. That's what they do. It's a police state. They're blind. I just hear him talking about Castro and everything. It's just stupidity. Can't imagine people... Like, look at that and think that. I'm saying, even if my grandfather wasn't for Venezuela, I would know that it's crazy what's going on over there. And so you would agree with me, what Bernie Standard, Sanders is selling and spewing is inhumane. He likes to claim he's for the people. He's not for the people. Yeah, you can't even call it stupid. It's not stupid. No. It's totally not stupid. I mean, there's obviously a plan behind what he's doing, but it's not. He knows exactly what's going on over there. All right, Mark. God bless you, my friend. Best to your family and your grandfather. I really feel bad for you. This is why talk radio is different than every other medium. Television, whether it's digital or cable or network. Talk radio is different than every other radio type of broadcast. Listen to what we've done tonight. Listen to the people who've participated. This is truly participation radio. Some nights more than others, but so be it. We've had people calling who've experienced the Cuban healthcare system, whose families have been brutalized by the Castros. You just heard this young man, Mark, with his grandfather in Venezuela and what's going on in Venezuela. 
And this is why these corrupt newsrooms matter less and less. I don't attack social media like other people do. I attack people who deserve to be attacked on social media. But I think the platform of social media has been revolutionary. And has been extremely positive for society. Again, they're disgusting reprobates everywhere. You'll find them in movie theaters. You'll find them at the 7-Eleven. You'll find them here and there. But it's why, it's why governments, repressive governments, communist governments, fascistic governments, whatever, to go after the Internet, they want to shut it down. And that's why media in our country are constantly trashing the Internet. I do not. They're scumbags on the Internet, just like they're in every other walk of life. But it is another avenue to express freedom of speech. Freedom of speech. And I don't want the government controlling it. Again, I hear people supposedly on quote-unquote our side, they want the government to get in and control Facebook and control this, control that. I stand against it. I don't like what Google does. I don't like what they all do. But I like less what the government does. And so we can create alternatives, and there will be alternatives. It doesn't seem like it now, but there will be alternatives to the Internet. People are working on it in the United States, in Israel, in Japan. And it will happen in our lifetimes. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Our grand congratulations, our celebratory congratulations to the Prime Minister of Israel, Bibi Netanyahu. Now let's bring home a big victory for our president as well, President Trump. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.